Good morning, church. This is Pastor George here at Tuolumne Community Baptist Church. So thankful that you tune in. This morning, we have something very special for you. Today, we have guest speaker, Nathan Wilson. He's a California Southern Baptist Conference missionary, um, completely supported uh, by the California Conference, and we're, we're so uh, excited to hear what he has to say. They're just back from Rwanda, so it should be very interesting. Stay tuned. He's going to get started just in a moment. We give you praise and give you glory. Father, we pray for our guest speaker that you calm his nerves and strengthen his legs. Because we know that he's coming to give us a word from you, Father. Lord, we just ask you to bless him today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Nathan, come on up. Give him a hand. Oh, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Thank you so much for having our family here with you today. It's a big joy. It's a privilege for us. And uh, I am a little nervous. So on that note, I'm also going to take a minute to pray and just ask God to come in. Lord, we thank you for always being with us and for being our confidence, for being our hope. As we remembered all those people celebrating you coming into Jerusalem those years ago. Lord, may we... Not turn away when things get difficult, but may we cling to you. Please open our hearts to receive your word this morning and just be encouraged as we strengthen one another and just point each other toward you that we can walk in the love and good works that you've created us to do. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, so yes, my name is Nathan and I serve as a missionary with the International Mission Board, uh, which is the missions wing of the Southern Baptist Church. And uh, it's not what I've always done, though. Um, my degree in college was accounting, and I served in that profession for over a decade, actually. My wife and I, we met at an accounting firm, uh, working accounting, finance, and I was doing that for a long time until the Lord got a hold of my heart, and I really got convicted one day sitting in a service like this and realizing I grew up in a Christian church. I grew up in a Christian family. Um, I went to Christian school and all those things. I just had easy access to the gospel. I mean, my earliest memories are sitting around on the floor before we go to sleep, listening to my dad tell Bible stories or read to us from the Bible. And I just, I was a part of my life. Uh, it influenced it, but it didn't necessarily drive it until God got a hold of my heart one day and just showed me, Nathan, there, there are people in other parts of the world that don't necessarily even have the New Testament in their language. But they don't have a church that they can go to and, and hear the word. So he really laid it on my heart that I, he wanted me to go and to help bring that to them. And I remember having a bit of a dialogue with God saying, God, I mean, can, can I go to some other place and tell them about you and what you've done in the world, what you've done in their lives? And can you use that to save them? Yes. But, you know, aren't there already Christians in some of those places maybe who just want some help, they want some training, maybe they couldn't go to seminary because they're too far away or they can't afford it. Like, can I work with those people? And I don't know, the Lord somehow put it on uh, my heart to do that. And it was neat to say he, he way he worked that out. So um, in 2020, 
my wife and I were married in 2011. So for about 10 year runway, we had talked about this before we got married, sitting in my, my, my truck talking like, the Lord's calling me to missions and I wanna move forward in my life. Will, will you join me in that? And here we are four kids later standing in front of you as IMB missionaries. But it, it's been a journey for absolutely this morning. We're, we're so glad to do it. But it's my desire this morning that I can share with you a little bit about um, what missionaries do and how uh, our experience has been. Um, so as I said, we first went as missionaries in 2020, so we're not, not speaking to you from decades of overseas experience. I have seen some things that the Lord's been um, just revealed to us and letting us experience and be a part of. It's been amazing. Um, but, um, you know, as the Southern Baptist Church, uh, part of our giving uh, goes to a, a big pool, <laughs> and we use that to pay for seminaries and missionaries. Uh, that seminary also went for, got to pay half price, which is real nice, you know. I uh, made it affordable because even as I was working in accounting and finance, I was able to go and to get that degree and really learn those things that helped me understand and be able to teach and bring those bring those things to the nation. So um, just as a, as, a, as a partner church in that, I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Uh, we don't have to travel around and ask for support or do any of those kind of things because just a part of people's regular weekly giving is and it could be five dollars here and a hundred dollars there but it all gets added up and it supports i think there's close to four thousand missionaries around the world and they're working on actually sending 500 more over the next five years um, so it's there's a huge huge need for the gospel and sometimes people might not realize that little contribution that they're making actually gets pulled together and it makes quite an impact because um, we have missionaries here in america uh, the north american mission board and we have missionaries around the world which would be your international mission board those are the two that's the mission side of, of the southern baptist convention and we just see god doing awesome awesome things um, so as i'm thinking about that how here we are um, representing uh, the gospel uh, to the world and representing you across the world. And um, I've been there in the middle of the bush, sitting there and realizing that um, I'm in the middle of nowhere and there's no electricity as far as you can see, no water, no nothing. And recognizing how difficult it can be sometimes, but knowing that there are churches that are praying for and supporting the work because as far as you can see, there's people who need to hear the gospel who need to hear the truth of Jesus Christ. So I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for partnering together and, and supporting us as we hold the rope and, and do our work together. Uh, when I was thinking of, of, of what to speak from this morning, um, there's so many places that I found encouragement, but I decided on uh, Philippians chapter one. We'll look at that briefly and then I'll tell you a little bit more of my story. Um, so I'll be in Philippians chapter one and we'll look at verses three through 11. It says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, 
so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. It goes on from there and so much good stuff in the Philippians. I love it. It's very, very encouraging book. But as I was thinking about that, I'm picturing Paul. And I'm not sure how you picture Paul, but I think about a guy who's been shipwrecked and stoned and not, well, with stones. Context, right? He's been taken out and he's been had rocks thrown at him until he's almost killed. And he has been left to die and he's been imprisoned more times than he can count. And just terrible, terrible things happening to him, getting bitten by snakes and his friends deserting him. And he probably looks a lot different than we would imagine. Maybe he has some scars from those rocks. Maybe he's, you know, haggard and bent over. And he's an older man. He's just given his life to the service of Christ. And he's often considered the greatest missionary who ever lived. He wrote a whole lot of uh, letters that are in the New Testament. And um, I don't claim to be anything like Paul whatsoever. I would love to be, because he says to imitate him as he imitates Christ. But as I just picture the kind of missionary that he was, finding himself in some very difficult places, he knew that he had partner churches, churches just like this one, where they're doing their part to serve Christ, where they're growing together, and love, trying to be pure and blameless as we're all looking forward to the day of Jesus. Because it doesn't matter where we are, we are all going to see him come back. So uh, I was just thinking of that passage because I know there are times I mentioned where I'm looking back and I am remembering the churches, the people I've met, faces just like yours. So I'm thankful for this experience today because believe it or not, you are an encouragement to me. Because uh, life's hard for all of us, right? We all come through those things and we know that. One of the great things about Christianity is we're not called to do this alone. The Father gives us the Holy Spirit who walks with us and empowers us, but he also gives us the church where we can grow together and love each other and encourage each other to do what's right. Amen. So I thank you for your partnership in that. And just knowing that we are partners in the gospel. And Paul was talking about his context, whether he was in prison or whether he's defending the gospel. You know, I've seen so many people challenging him. I mean, he appealed to Caesar, the ruler of the known world at that time, standing in front of him, making an appeal for Christianity. And we know the things that were happening to Christians during that time, terrible things that were happening. But just as, as Paul is saying, he's remembering uh, the churches, even when he's going through that. And he's, that's an encouragement to him and knowing that we're partners together. And so he held them in, in his heart. And I just, I love that because it's, like I said, I, I will definitely remember you and, and, and hold you in my heart. And I just thank you for your partnership in that. And just even his desire, knowing that wherever we find ourselves, there's different things that we're called to. God gives us gifts differently. He equips us to do different things. He puts different people in our lives. But his desire for all of us is that we should grow in love more and more, growing in our knowledge and our discernment, being able to tell what is right and focusing on those things, that we will be pure and blameless, knowing that God doesn't just take us and leave us the way that we were when he first finds us, but rather he makes us holy. He makes us like his own son, Jesus. He uses us to kind of work off those rough edges as we grow together in holiness. Um, and I love that too, just talking about how we can be filled with the fruit of righteousness. I was thinking about that this week, the fruit of righteousness. Now we can go down to the grocery store and just buy whatever we want. But if I don't have a grocery store and I want some fruit and I decide to plant an orange tree or pecan tree, whatever it is, 
it's going to take me a long time to get that fruit. And thinking about our own lives, it's the same thing. If we want to have those righteousness, fruit of righteousness fill us, we need to start making those decisions and working hard towards those things, knowing over time how we live is going to determine how healthy that fruit is, knowing at the same time it's all from Christ. It's him who works in us. Paul mentioned how it's that with the good work that Jesus began in each one of us, he's going to bring to completion at the day of Christ. So as we're all looking forward to that, um, I was just, uh, I'm looking forward to knowing that on that day, <laughs> when we're all standing around the throne of Jesus saying, worthy is the lamb. We are worshiping, you got people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, singing praises, dancing and singing together, worshiping Jesus knowing that we see him on his throne, but also looking to the right and looking to the left and seeing the people that we have labored with in the gospel, the people that we have shared with, the people who shared the gospel with us, and just that glorious, glorious day, how wonderful it's going to be. It's going to last for eternity. So that was just the picture I had in my mind as, as I am um, thinking about um, how my appreciation for the church is and how we all partner together. But if... Um, <clears throat> I was telling you a little bit of my story uh, there. I told you that we had a long runway. Uh, we had, before we got married, talked about it. And we were married in 2011. And after uh, going to seminary and getting through all the checks and everything, we, uh, in January of 2020 is when we began our official service. We went to Virginia for some training for a couple months where we were supposed to, um, well, we did, they taught us a number of things, saying, hey, you'll learn the rest on the field. And in March of 2020, we were supposed to go to Rwanda. Um, but as you all know, worldwide pandemic hit, kind of put the, a halt on that and our plans. Uh, as I told you, it was my desire to be able to go and to work with Christians and just help give them tools, equip them to be able to reach their own people. I recognized all those cultural barriers and other things. I said, I'm a little awkward. You know, I'm from Texas. I got some a different upbringing from people. Maybe I could just, if they're already Christian, it might be easier just to, they can forgive me for some of my um, personality quirks or whatever it is, right? Um, and, and so I did that. I signed up for a theological education job where I was going to go teach at a seminary working with pastors. And that's what we went there to do. Um, but as I said, in September, it was uh, all the airports closed, everything shut down. And so I said, oh no, what do we do? Like, we're, I had already, we'd moved out of our house and, and my buddy's letting me sleep on his couch. We're supposed to be there for one week, which ended up being two weeks saying, Lord, are you sure this is what we're supposed to be doing? I can go back to business. You know what? Um, he provided a place actually, if you're in Pioneer, there's a mission house there. And, uh, Sierra Baptist Church was kind enough to let us stay there. and That's where we are again now. But um, we spent about six months from September, uh, from March through September there. and Just had a wonderful time during that start of the pandemic. Um, just um, transitioning from life in uh, corporate America to being with your family 24-7. Anybody else trying to do something like that? <laughs> so it's a different kind of work, you know. And, uh, but it was good prep time uh, for when we were finally able to arrive in Rwanda in September. We actually landed on my daughter's birthday. Samantha turned seven that day. We landed, and uh, man, it was different. We changed continents. We changed cultures, language, all that sort of thing. And, you know, I, I enjoy languages. So, you know, some French and some Spanish, some German, little things like that. But Kenya, Rwanda, 
It's a whole nother animal, you know? But things like they put the plural at the beginning of the word. Has anybody ever seen that? I've never seen a plural at the beginning of the word. And there's all different forms of nouns. There's like 10 different forms. So we'll say if we have three chairs or three people, three tables, it's all three. But to them, they got different versions and stuff. So it just showed me, man, I don't, I don't know anything. Like, Lord, what are you going to do with an accountant in a village in Africa? Like, come on. You sure I don't need to go home and send somebody else? But that's the part of the beauty of it is God just takes us and in our weakness, he shows how great he is and how he can use us to accomplish great things. Um, I'm not saying before you saying I've accomplished great things, but I've been a part of some great things that God is doing um, in East Africa and soon to be in, in France is where we're heading next. But as we arrived there in Rwanda, um, we were told um, shortly before we took off two things. <laughs> Number one, my wife was pregnant, so we had three babies, and about a week or two before we left, uh, we found out, oh, Lord, we got another one on the way, uh, so we didn't have time to pack, we didn't have time to prepare, and we weren't going to a place where they got Costco and Amazon and all these kind of things, but we're having a baby, so what do we do? The Lord showed his faithfulness, you know, he's here with us today, but just learning to trust God, and that was quite the experience because everything through the whole birthing process looked very different, but he showed his faithfulness through that. Um, so that was the first thing. But also the second thing, that school where I was supposed to go teach is closed um, due to the pandemic, due to some other governmental stuff that was going on. It's completely closed. So it's like, well, Lord, what do we do? What are we going to do? So we showed up, um, not exactly sure what to expect. And um, it was rough. Those first few months we were there, um, we took a bit of language and culture for like six weeks, basically enough to know you don't know anything, right? Some of their practices, some of their greetings and sort of thing like that. Some people call Kinyarwanda the Chinese of Africa. It's got some tonal elements to it and just things that are, they say it usually takes a couple of years before you can be proficient enough to have a good conversation kind of thing. Whereas, you know, French, for example, I think three to six months, you, you can at least get into some light conversation. So I was like, Lord, what are we supposed to do being here for a couple of years? And then the school's closed. Well, I know from your word that we're supposed to make disciples, but what does that look like? And I was just earnestly pursuing after that. And the country went into lockdown. And um, since it was lockdown, the government, the, you weren't allowed out of your house without permission. You had to apply for permission to go grocery store and you weren't allowed to go to other people's houses and all sorts of stuff and so we're here we are in a new country inside our house can't go outside saying lord are you sure we're supposed to be missionaries here like what is it you want us to do we we don't know people we can't talk to them we can't what are we supposed to do and um it just uh the, for a few months that's the way it was until january uh since my wife was pregnant um, they they encouraged us to go to kenya for the birth and um, we headed over there, but since uh, Rwanda was in lockdown, they said, come on over to Kenya early. Since Kenya's open, you can learn for some of our missionaries here. And that's where God just changed everything for us. He opened our eyes to see what was possible. Um, just an excellent team. And just, you can see generations of missions work that had been done, the different things that were going on. It showed me what all is possible. <laughs> Here's an accountant going to teach at a seminary uh, and not able to do that, ending up just traipsing around through all these different villages in Kenya with some, some faithful missionaries who just said, well, come with me. Let me show you what I do, what I've learned works. And it was just, it was amazing seeing churches that have planted churches that have planted churches. And like you go and visit those 
and they're healthy, they're worshiping God, they're growing in what they know. They're not perfect, just like never been in a perfect church, no offense. But <laughs> they say if you find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll mess it up. But <laughs> um, just seeing what was possible there, and um, the Lord has brought us through a, a, quite the journey there. Um, but in that, I just thought I might talk a little bit about what missionaries do, and as I'm telling you what missionaries do, um, I layer in a little bit more of my experience. But the first thing that we want to do is entry. I call it entry. Finding a place where the gospel is not there or it needs some help. So, for example, in Rwanda, uh, I was going there to fill the need of theological education. Um, there's a reason they needed people there. Um, but all over the world, the context is different. What is that place where the gospel is needed? Um, I'm trying to speak at the missions level. Obviously, at our personal level, we can think, where are the places that I'm involved? Who in my family needs the gospel? What in my community? Am I part of a group that meets on Tuesdays? Or am I part of a soccer team? Or whatever it is, where are those spheres of influence where the gospel is not? And I'm going to intentionally enter into that place that I have access to to bring the gospel. So as missionaries, that involves learning a language and acquiring visas and trying to figure out how you're gonna be there and what do you tell the people that you're there to do? Some places you're allowed to be a missionary. You can openly speak of those things, but other places you're not allowed to be a missionary. Now we know that the Great Commission, God tells us to go to all nations to baptize them and to teach them to obey. Uh, that's that's the command we're given. So that includes closed countries. So sometimes uh, missionaries have to be very creative where they're not lying and, and saying, I'm here to run a, um, a sports club, and I don't really do that. I'm really just here to share the gospel. If we say we're going to, to be a run a sports club, we're going to run a sports club. But of course, we're also going to be intentionally sharing the gospel. So you have different ways that that looks. But that would be entry, just going into that place. And then the number one focus is evangelism and just trying to share the gospel. Some places the gospel is more prevalent than others, um, but there's never a place where we should not be sharing with our neighbors, with our friends, people that we meet. Um, even a lot of places, um, it might seem like the gospel is there. We have lots of churches. Um, but what about all the different elements of those areas? So, for example, um, in Rwanda... You, you have a lot of Rwandans there, but what about the immigrants? Who's reaching the Pakistani people? Or who's reaching the Ugandan refugees or Somalian refugees? Wherever these different pockets of people are, it's not just the big, um, the people you might think of. God wants all people to hear the gospel. So we're focused on, uh, once we enter, we focus on evangelism, which leads to discipleship. It's not that we ever stop doing evangelism, but we definitely need to start layering in evangel um, discipleship. As we're sharing the gospel, people are believing. And Jesus told us, uh, don't go and make converts. He said to make disciples and to teach them to obey. And that's hard work. I think about like weeding a garden, keeping the bugs off, making sure it gets enough water and sunlight and the different nutrients and things that it needs. Um, that is that work of discipleship. And, Man, when I was in Rwanda, you talk about the need um, for discipleship. Uh, you have, um, even in people who go to church, um, a lot of times when things don't go the way they want, they'll go back to their traditional religions. Mm -hmm. So go, go to church on Sunday morning, in the afternoon, they might be going and talking to their witch doctor, uh, their muganga, wanting to 
get some other remedy to get rid of this curse or to heal the sick person or whatever it is. It's like we need to continue to teach them to turn away from those things and, and see the truth that's found in the gospel. And even um, just knowing one of the places I went, um, so we were, in, we were in Kenya for a number of months and those guys really brought me alongside uh, and just said, come with us and see, and uh, showed us how to live as Christians in another context. But they also showed us um, how to share the gospel in other contexts, how to do church. And as we were there, I was just thinking, Lord, this is amazing. This is great. There's so many people. What can we possibly bring back to Rwanda? Even just a small piece. If there's anything we can do, we want to help. So we did that. Um, we in, in June, a couple months after Joey was born, we headed back to Rwanda. Um, just we had been our number one prayer focus was, Lord, just connect us with the people that you want us to minister to, the people that you want us to minister with, that we can help raise up local leaders to continue the work. And it was amazing the way that he opened doors. And um, when I was first back in the country, there's a guy um, who is a dual citizen of Rwanda and the Democratic Republic of Congo. And um, a missionary from Kenya, a Kenyan national, had come to Rwanda just to encourage us and show us around, connect us to some people, which was really cool. And um, he was introducing me to this other man and the guy was just sharing I have a heart to plant churches in the village but I don't know what to do I have this desire I'm in the city of Kigali which is the capital city but Kigali has about a million people more than a million almost the rest of the country is rural you have 90% of the population living in very rural conditions and almost all the missions work is being done in the capital city of Kigali so he said he was out there preaching the gospel and people would say, hey, are you, are you with the guys who were here last week? No. Are you here with the guys who were here two weeks ago? No. He was convicted that he was doing the same thing everybody else was doing, while people out in the village, out in the countryside, are not hearing the gospel. They don't have access to the truth. You can go kilometers, and there's not a single church. And these are people who get around by walking. So he said that he's like, I, I'm, I, went, I bought a house. I moved out there strategically around these different villages. I'm just not sure what I'm supposed to do. I've been focused on evangelism, but I feel like I should start adding in some discipleship. So <laughs> I was kind of talking to him about that and some strategies. And for whatever reason, he invited me into what he was doing. And um, he had a group of men uh, from the three surrounding villages that he was bringing to his home because he wanted to start discipling them. And that first time I met with them, we shared a meal together and they were talking about what do you want out of this group? And these are all farmers, very rural. You know, most of them have not even finished elementary school. Um, some of them can't read or write, um, but every single one of them, um, through Empore is the guy's name. He's the one who's the leader. He's translating everything for me. Um, but he, um, every single one of them said, they just want someone to teach them. No one has ever come and spent time with them. Sometimes people will come and they're share, they will share the gospel with them and they will leave. Some people might even say, go start a church, but they don't show them how to do that. They don't teach them the things that are in the Bible and how that applies to their life. They just hear the gospel, whatever version of it, and then they go on. So every single one of those men said, we wanna learn so that if we're given a chance, we will teach our families, our village. We want the history of our village to be different. We don't want them to make the same mistakes that we made. 
And that, that just tore me up inside because I said, God, that's like the very same passion that you put on my heart back when I was in America before we got married. I, I, that, that desire had only grown stronger. And here the Lord connecting ways and he did. Here I am in this little village with all these men from surrounding villages now have asked me to come and help just give them tools for how to grow and how to follow Jesus, how to plant churches. Because each one of those guys want to start a healthy church in their village. And then the guy, their leader, he's wanting to have a healthy church in every village in Rwanda. And I just love this guy because he's right. He sees the need there in the capital city. Of course, we need more work, but in the village, it's difficult. You don't have any of those same amenities and um, you, have the, you have trust factor and all different layers and stuff. And I mentioned you have the traditional and tribal religions. Um, you have um, whatever form of the gospels being preached. Um, as I said, most people have not graduated from elementary school or secondary school. They don't have the seminary degrees. They don't have that education. They need workers. They need people to come, not to be the pastors, not to be the ones doing everything, but just to equip them for the work of the ministry. So that was how God chose to use us in our time of Rwanda, just to be connected to people like Empore and those guys in the village. But um, we were talking about uh, what a missionary does. They go in entry. They find a place where the gospel is not. They focus on evangelism. They begin to do discipleship. And I can't help but think of those guys uh, in that village in Rusagata. But um, I met with them every Monday until uh, we left Rwanda uh, in January. But those, those guys, they would walk about an hour and a half <laughs> each way to get to this central place where we met. Uh, just this wooden, uh, sorry, not wooden, it's like a mud brick kind of place. Uh, Samantha was able to go with me a few times and uh, just be able to see their faithfulness, the work that they would do, the time that they would take off. And they were always asking for more. You know, and it's like so many other appointments I've had, people don't show up or they're late. And, but these guys were just craving it, said, someone's going to spend time here with us and teach us. Please, can we have more time? Can we have more? And so I just, I saw that need for that discipleship. But then uh, we're not just making disciples to be individuals. We're making disciples to be part of a healthy church. As I mentioned in Rwanda, for example, you can go kilometers and there isn't a church uh, so we want to uh, disciple those people, raise them up, uh, make work on developing leaders. That's the next step to be able to lead those churches. Um, and they might look different. It might be a wonderful facility like this with uh, the lighting and all the big space. It might be outside under a tree. It could be meeting in someone's home or you know renting a gymnasium, whatever that looks like. The building doesn't matter, but we want people who are growing in their obedience and love of Jesus. So as we're um, focusing on those healthy churches, we know that healthy churches continue to plant more churches. And so when we think about we're going into a place in Rwanda, it's like we're sharing the gospel with one village, knowing that they should bring it to the next village and the next village. Because as I said, it's not the missionary who's going, doing all the work. We're just trying to encourage and equip um, the local people to be able to do it. And it is amazing seeing, I mentioned their faithfulness, their ability to uh, just to work hard and to know the context and know what's effective and um, the fact that they're so forgiving of, of foreigners and things like that. It's, it's so encouraging to see um, 
just when they will bring you alongside and, and, and they'll tell you the people that they've been uh, sharing the gospel with and they'll invite you to go to baptisms of people and just seeing the work continue to go, uh, to continue on um, that you might not even see or get to be a part of, but just because you invested in someone else's life and they invested in someone else's life and changes are happening. It's just like a spider web spreading out. So um, now after entry, we have evangelism we focus on, discipleship, working toward those healthy churches. But for those healthy churches, uh, we have leadership development, leadership development, theological education, basically making sure that we have pastors, that we have um, even those places. We want missionaries to go from everywhere to everywhere. I want Rwandan missionaries coming to California. I want Californian missionaries going to China, and I want Chinese missionaries going to Mongolia, and Mongolian missionaries going to Chile, and all those different places, because it's not like, oh, this is this continent's or this area of the world's responsibility to reach the world, but really we want everywhere to go everywhere, because that's God's command, Jesus' command to all Christians. Go, therefore, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey. And my favorite part, and I will be with you to the end of the earth. So all authority has been given to Jesus. He's with us. He just tells us to go, and we get to watch and see what he's doing. And I recognize he equips us differently, and he watches us, uh, and he calls us to do different things. Um, but wherever we find ourselves, I know that each of us just need to be faithful with what he's given us, for me, I felt comfortable in that uh, theological education realm. I didn't uh, feel comfortable going into a village and trying to start a church. I never would have seen myself doing that. I thought that um, that would I would have to go be Pastor George. I, I can't be Pastor George. I'm not a pastor. I don't have that much patience with people. You know, I feel like there's a certain level of compassion that a man like that has. It's like, I can't just go pastor a church and then maybe when that one gets big, I'll go start another one. That's kind of what I pictured a missionary doing. But one of those lessons I learned in Kenya was realizing it's not even just about using my gift. So I, I enjoy teaching. I'm passionate about teaching. When you go to a place, you're trying to activate other people's gifts to encourage them to use that for the gospel, essentially equipping them and allowing them to use their gifts because they're going to remain there. They're going to stay there and they're going to continue that work. And the gift just becomes exponentially greater um, when you can uh, get other people working together. So it's not that the missionary just goes and does all these things. Sometimes a missionary can be called pastor of church, but the more that a, that a missionary is doing, the less that the local people are forced to do. So it's neat when you can watch God raise up those leaders and intentionally disciple them. And uh, one of the guys I was working with, he was working with college students uh, and he had, they wanted to start a church. I think there's about 50 or 60 of them have been talking about it for a while, but they're young and they need elders. So what do they do? And um, my coworker, he connected them with one of his partner churches back in America and they set up a training for them. These are college guys, so they got access to the internet and um, they can communicate in English and these kind of things. And he connected them with the elders of a church. And I think it's in Virginia. And every week they're having conversations. They have homework and being raised up. It's like, how cool. They're being mentored by someone from an ocean away and, and the things that they need to do. So um, uh, it's, it's neat to see there and be a part of what's going on and just recognizing Man, there's no reason other than the Lord of 
why I would be here and a part of what's going on. Um, but a you know, missionary also doesn't stay in any one place forever. Whether you die or whether you move, for one reason or another, you're going to exit that place. And I mentioned how a missionary doesn't want to do all the work themselves, but rather uh, equip others and, and leave a lasting work there. Because if it's all hinges on you, when you leave, everything stops. But if you are able to pour into others and raise up those leaders, and uh, then work continues. So that's really our, our desire. We try to keep the end in mind. It's like parenting your kids, right? It's like, I might be able to make these decisions for you now, but I don't. I need to grow you to be able to be independent because one day I'm not going to be there. So in the same way, we, we keep that in mind and, and really trying to uh, just raise up the, everyone to be able to continue the work after we're gone. I told you about Empore and how his vision is to have a healthy church in every village of Rwanda. And this guy's passionate. He He's actually working toward that end. He's um, using his own money to build buildings and to gather people together to network. And he has um, even his people that he's working with, like the rising stars, whatever you want to call them, um, he's using them. And just like Paul did with other missionaries, he's giving them new responsibilities and having them um, start new groups and new areas. And it's really exciting just to see things progressing and actually happening. Um, but even in that, it's and once and nothing great about me, but just knowing that um, his, his desire was originally was evangelism. When I was coming into the picture, he was saying, I know I, know I need to do discipleship, I just don't know how. So for whatever reason, God just connected us and seeing that lasting impression is continuing to work. Um, then you have guys uh, like that missionary who was in Kenya who came over and uh, he stayed with our family for a couple weeks and he connected us with a lot of different people in Rwanda and just um, this man, he is he is full of love and he is so kind and he'll listen to you for a long time. And he's very good at networking and connecting people and just seeing how God needs people like that or uses people like that as well to, to grow his kingdom. And then there's guys like Rujita. Rujita is, uh, he's actually a missionary. I, when I was in Kenya, he was in Kenya being trained. He's from Rwanda, but he was in Kenya. And um, we met <laughs> doing uh, evangelism trainings and things in, in a village in Kenya, which was actually really cool. But here's a young guy. He's passionate. Um, he, um, he lost his father a long time ago, but he's wanting to leave, uh, to use his life well, uh, like early 20s and um, just he serves. Uh, I tell me about those guys that we worked with in the village every week and um, there was one day where they invited our whole family to be able to come out and to visit them and to go to each of their houses and be able to share some food with them and sing some songs and get to see where they live, uh, which is really special for our families to get together. But then one of those days um, we had them all get on a bus and we brought them to our house in the capital city of Kigali and that was so awesome. But I'm, I am, uh, there's some things I'm good at, some things I'm not good at. So I was like, what am I going to do with all of these Rwandan guys? And I was talking to my buddy. I was like, can I make American food? And they're like, no, 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 you have to make Rwandan food. It's like, we don't eat your food. Like, you use bread. Like, bread is not food. We, we maybe will have that for breakfast, but we don't, we don't do bread. Like, okay, come on, just hamburgers, people. Like, we're in Rwanda. They always get to eat Rwandan food. Well, how about we just give them American food? He's like, no, 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 you have to do Rwandan food. Okay, but I can't make Rwandan food as good as a Rwandan would expect it to be made. So <laughs> we're just working through silly things like that. And Rujita and another guy, um, 
came and served. He's like, oh, don't worry about that. I'll come to your house. I'll help you cook and prepare these things. And anyway, he, he came and he served along with another um, local Rwandan guy. Um, and it was crazy. They served our family. They served all of our guests. But just watching their humility and just how God provides the people. It's like, I told you, I definitely have my challenges and things that I'm trying to do to serve him. But just realizing how God calls people up and provides for those things. You're worried, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? And God says, you don't have to worry about that. You focus on my kingdom, my righteousness. I'll provide everything else that you need. Um, and then there's guys like Solomon, um, who actually works with uh, Youth with a Mission. I don't know if you might have heard of that organization, but uh, they're working on raising up uh, leaders. And he invited me to do a lot of evangelism training. We're still in contact. And just those connections, his desire is to continue to see young people raised up to see the gospel keep going. And Anyway, I could go on and tell you more and more and more, but it's just awesome to know that um, even though we weren't able to stay, so I went there to teach the school, the school's closed, so we had to find somewhere else to go. Um, the fact that it's God who began the work a long time ago. It's God who's going to see that work completed. He invites us in to see a piece of it. And though we would have liked to stay and see more, we also have some peace about it, knowing that you have a faithful men and women, like the one that I've been telling you about. So um, as a missionary goes in, like I said, they're trying to find that place where the gospel is not and doing all the things that allow them to get in there, whether it's a visa or a work platform. They're focusing on evangelism, bringing the gospel to all pockets of the population, men, women, children, immigrants, native-born people focusing on, a, on discipleship and teaching them to obey the commands of Christ. What does that actually mean to our life? And then trying to focus on building healthy churches uh, where they can band together, worship, obey, and encourage each other together. And then making sure we raise up leaders with good theological education so that the truth is being proclaimed and nothing else. And then knowing that one day we're going to exit. So keeping all those things in mind is really... Um, so much more that we could speak about, and I tried to layer in a little bit of my influence, but as I was, um, or my little bit of my experience, but as I was sitting here, um, I told you that we, uh, we went to Rwanda in 2020, and we had to leave at the beginning of this year in January of 22, and um, because the school was closed, um, we knew that there wasn't a, a place for us, uh, so um, we were like, where should we go? And through a long story, um, God actually directed us to France. <laughs> so we're going to France. The plan is, right? I told you my plan was to go teach at a seminary and that didn't happen, right? Now the plan is for us to be able to go to um, France and we're going to be working uh, with the church there to um, equip the church and tools for evangelism and discipleship, but also um, trying to start new churches. Um, the need in France is enormous. Uh, there's, I think, 65 million people, something like that and um, very, very few churches. <laughs> and so in Orange County, I think there's 130, Orange County, California, I think there's 139 Baptist churches. In uh, France, I was looking, you know, the Baptist Federation, there's like 108 churches or something like that in all of France, you know. There, I think there's one evangelical church for every 26,000 people or something like that. So there's just a huge, huge need. It's very different than Rwanda. I didn't tell you about the, a lot of the experiences you have. And I mean, we were going in and we would be given evangelism training all over the place, trying to equip people basically in evangelism and discipleship. Because our term wasn't a very extended period of time. We couldn't do a lot of the long-term work. So we're just trying to give people those tools for evangelism and discipleship. 
And almost every single evangelism training we did, there were people getting saved because they had never heard and understood the gospel, which is really cool. It's like, I'll train anybody to share the gospel because that means I get to share the gospel with them, which is awesome. Um, but just the response rate was amazing in Rwanda because they don't have a lot of the same barriers that we do. Um, but then going to France, it's just, I hear it's a very different ball game. Uh, we haven't been there yet, but they said just prepare for, you know, secularism to the extreme, a lot of hardness of heart and apathy toward God and all of these different things. So um, as you remember us, you can be praying for that, that the you know, same thing, God would connect us with people to partner with, but also people to minister to, that he'd give grace to our family as we are um, making another transition, be Joey's my baby's third continent in less than a year and a half. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of learning and awesome opportunities that are involved in that, but also a lot of very real challenges that come with moving around in different cultures and things. Um, but uh, as we're moving to France, uh, it's just, it's a completely different experience. So I told you a little bit about what I've been through, and I mentioned how there's thousands of missionaries all around the world, as well as in North America, that are faithfully doing the same thing. So, uh, on their behalf, I just wanted to say thank you for even just your regular giving and making sure to contribute to that. And um, please know that I and my brothers and sisters, uh, meaning other missionaries, think of you and we're thankful for you because as we're all seeking to um, just be filled with that fruit of righteousness and encouraging each other to abound in love more and more as we all look forward to the day of Christ, uh, we will meet again. And we'll be able to share what the Lord has done in our lives and just be able to praise God for the awesome things he's done. So even though our lives might look a little bit differently, um, we're all brothers and sisters together and we're very thankful for you. So um, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you um, for being faithful. Thank you for leading us. Thank you for equipping us. And thank you for being strong in our weakness. Lord, I thank you that you don't leave things to chance, but rather you are orchestrating all world events and even those in our own individual lives. So, Lord, we might not always understand. Um, help us to trust you and help us to lean on you, um, knowing that you are good and you are going to finish the work that you began in us and that we will all get to celebrate you on that day of Christ. So, Lord, may we not forget our neighbors May we not forget those on the other side of oceans, but rather may we be committed to praying for them, supporting them, loving them, also not neglecting our brothers and our friends and our neighbors right at home. So Lord, please continue to work through your word as we go this week, and um, we thank you for the hope and the confidence that we have in Christ alone. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Isn't that awesome? What God is doing, you know, just, just in training people. And God had a plan throughout all of it. Every, every move that you made, even though you can't see. You know, it's like I was sharing in my story and coming here. I couldn't see that the Lord was going to have me here to lead this church. It's just so amazing. God is so good. Tony, would you come back and... I always, I want to pray for your family, and there are probably some of them downstairs right now, so that's okay. We'll pray for you and over your family. But before we do, I wanted to make opportunity if there's anybody else here that needs prayer, that would like to be the hands laid upon you and, and prayer for any specific needs, it's, it's really important.
And why don't you come on up?